Wednesday evening again. BBN is Cash Talk Wednesday time again. Terry TV Brown, Vinny Cardi up in here. What is up, man? Not a whole lot. Uh, it is winter time as we are getting closer and closer to the holiday time. So, no surprise there. But uh, but it's good. I can't complain, man. You know. We keep talking about how 2020 has been a crazy year, but it's still hard to believe we're just a few days, few weeks uh, getting closer to 2021. So for all the craziness going on, we've certainly uh, uh, this year's kind of gone by fast in a lot of ways as well. Yeah, yeah, we crazy how they just get to December and flip it flip the calendar on another year 2021 is almost here and you mentioned that winter time man from like Virginia on up to New England they're about to get blasted uh, over the next few hours or next few days they are they get hit hard up there with serious snow absolutely absolutely so uh, for all of the craziness of the year time keeps as the song says time keeps on slipping slipping (laughs) (laughs) so uh so definitely uh you know it's it's been good you know i know we're gonna talk about this more as we wrap up the year uh as we always do but uh, a lot of good a lot of bad and all that but to answer your question, I'm doing well. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not to get too philosophical here. There you go. Uh, so we're looking forward to it. We'll, we'll get into the Cats still struggling at one and four. We got a new offensive coordinator to talk about. We got state high school football finals to talk about. Six games coming up over the weekend, Friday and Saturday. Got Bradley Charles from Bluegrass Sports Network scheduled to come on at 6 30. Uh, he covers that, gives us a little insight into the matchups. Uh, who will be able to be state champs in all six levels, six classes of high school football as they bring their season to the end? They were able to maneuver and make it through all the obstacles and, and hopefully be able to finish it up this weekend. Um, but you know, we 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 saw Tell Two Half Saturday. And we'll, of course, talk about some of that with Bradley too. But Kentucky not able to complete the comeback against Notre Dame. One and four got UCLA coming up, and then Louisville the week after that. So the next two two Saturdays they got games. What's what's everybody in Louisville saying? Are they smelling blood? Are they talking talk? Are they talking trash? What, what's up in the Ville right now? Well, uh, the Cats have North Carolina on Saturday. I don't know if you saw that, but things have shifted around. So the Cats have UNC on Saturday. Oh, I did not see that. That came out maybe last 45 minutes or so. Yeah, I missed that. So as COVID, uh, every time we try to do something normal, COVID says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm still here. I ain't going nowhere. I'm bad boy for life. Thereabouts. So, <laughs> but uh, independent of the opponent on Saturday, independent of who comes up, the Cats just have to get better. Uh, to answer your question, I think there's a few people 
uh, uh, Louisville fans that are chirping a little bit, but you know, I think they're hedging their bets because the the Kentucky team we saw this past week may not be the one that goes into the Yum Center, right? So for all of the, they want to gloat about the one and four, right? They want to uh, they want to uh, crow about it a little bit. They know, you know, we all know that since Cal has been uh, in Kentucky, we've had more presidential elections, three, than we've had U of L victories in the series, two. And that's still counting the one that's officially vacated. So I think they're hedging their bets because, you know, um, if they don't beat, if the, if the cards don't beat Kentucky this year, then, then when are they? Because uh, the hammer is getting ready to come down the NCAA. They've had that back and forth with the infractions committee and all this kind of stuff. So if they don't make that move, it's not going to get easier for them. So a lot of hedging of the bets, a lot of folks not wanting to crow too much because uh, Kentucky still has the talent to be a good team. And I still believe that. So uh, not too much crowing in this neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how to, if the chemistry can, can come together, if they can make the progress with the extra practice time. Is the second half what they carry over going forward? Now that they know, you know, we can't just get punched in the mouth and be down by 22. Uh, we had the largest deficit in the history of Rupp Arena. It's like, you, you can't be doing that. As Governor Bashir says, you, you outscore them 37-16 and almost could cap it. Um, Sar had a good look. Cal talked about Boston bobbling it, and, you know, which, you know, ask you would have had a tip in and almost would have, should have, and didn't quite happen. But if they realize now that the second half is what it's going to take and then some, then they can be in a position to kind of start this turnaround. So a lot of things can be true at the same time. Okay. First off, the University of Kentucky should never be one in four. Right. That that that's unacceptable to everybody. Let's get that out of the way. Kentucky being one in four in men's basketball is it is it is. I've, I've cut a lot of people a lot of slack. You know, usually I don't try to fan police, but I try to rein folks in. But at one in four, it, you can it's absolutely time to panic because that that, that just does not. It doesn't compute, right? You know, you can look across uh, Kentucky teams going back 110 years now at this point. I think we're getting close to. It's rare for Kentucky to be one and four. Okay, so that is, it's cause for alarm. That's first. Second, what's also true is, and this is the way it is in football, the teams that have the fewest question marks are coming out the gates better. Okay. Alabama, no question marks. Alabama's blowing everybody out by at least two, almost three scores. 
you know, they're number one in offense and defense in the SEC over 10 game schedule. Right? Because they, they knew they had Matt Jones. You know, they knew they had the receivers. They knew they had the running game. They knew they had the defense. Right? The teams that struggled were the ones with a lot of question marks. Right? So you look at uh, LSU, for example. LSU lost a lot. Right? Joe Burrow and company, they lost a tremendous amount of talent to the NFL and a lot of talent that said, we're not doing this <laughs> during the pandemic. Yeah. So LSU, outside of that win against Florida that we can talk about throwing shoes and whatnot, yeah. uh, outside of that, it's been a rough time for LSU. Why? Because they had a lot of question marks. And that holds water across the country. USC is looking great, not because their talent is better than everybody else in the Pac-10 they played. It's just that they they knew what they had going in. Okay? So, everybody and their brother is now talking about how the one and dones, it's over, right? It, it, it's not working. The problem with that is when you have a young team, you need as much time to get ready as you can get. Well, what did the coronavirus, what did COVID protocols limit? Everything they would usually do, right? You don't have the interactions. You're not playing. Uh, you know, I've been in Lexington during the summertime. Uh, there are uh, former cats that come back and play uh, during that summer break to kind of help the team get ready, right? I think one of the more overlooked parts of the 2012 team and why they came out like gangbusters is you remember that's when the NBA had a had a strike or a lockout, whatever it was, in 2011, right? So a lot of NBA players were in Lexington getting some run. Right? And, and, and you've played basketball, I've played basketball. If you can hold your own with the Kevin Durant's out there, that's a confidence booster, right? You you figure out, okay, what do I need to do to get better? Well, you don't have that run, that type of run over the summer. The the five on five drills aren't there, and so the teams like Kentucky and Duke that have the higher roster turnover, they're the ones that look bad, right? And teams like Iowa, with Luca Garza, who is a beast and a half, you know, those teams look great. And even on a small scale, you look, Kansas State lost to a Division II school the other day. Now, I know Kansas State is not the same as Kentucky. I get that. Outside of Mitch Richmond, not a lot there. I know they won in 20, was that 17, 28, 2018. Uh, they beat Kentucky, but still. So look around the landscape and you see teams that are young. This was really a worst case scenario with the COVID protocol. So there are a lot of things that can be true at the same time. Here is my whole thing on the one and done's. I've said it before, I'll say it again just to be real concise. 
you've got to have talent to win championships. Okay, that's first off. So the talent that comes through college basketball generally leans toward uh, one and done. Because when people rail against the one and done, my question is, if you're Coach K, if you're Duke, do you tell Zion Williamson, we don't want you on campus? Because you're one and done. Is that what you say? No, no Kentucky fan has ever come to me when I pose this question said, do you tell Anthony Davis, we don't want you here? You're one and done. We don't want you. Is that what you say? Carl Anthony Towns, we don't want you. Julius Randle, no thanks. Is that is that what you say? I don't think you can do that. So the roster construction when you get these elite talented kids is a little bit different. Well, people say you got to get kids that are going to stay three or four years. My thing is, how do you construct a roster? You say to half your team, yeah, you guys are going to be, you guys are elite. And you say to the other half of the room, yeah, you guys are just going to be parts to fit in. How does that sales approach work? Right? Because what we have seen Cal bring in a lot of guys, we knew John Wall was only going to be in Lexington for a season, right? We knew that DeMarcus Cousins, one and done. We, we, we knew that going in. But, you know, Anthony Davis, we knew was going to be one and done. But you look at the Devin Bookers. This gets lost in history. Eric Bledsoe was supposed to be a multi-year guy, if you remember correctly. Booker was supposed to be multi-year guy. Hero was supposed to be a multi-year guy. Shea Gilgis Alexander was supposed to be a multi-year guy. So it's not like Cal is not trying to get these multi-tier guys. Right? These multi-year, he's trying. The problem is these guys come on the scene, they blow up, and then it becomes a gots-to-go situation. And then you also end up with people that make bad decisions. Marcus T probably should have stayed. You know, uh, well, not really much, not really Archie Goodwin. Archie Goodwin's going to be one of those players that kind of floats out there that you you forget about Archie, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, Archie Good. You know, he, <laughs> because he probably should have come back, but I don't think he fits with the 2014 team. Like, I just think that 2013 team, that's just in limbo, in purgatory, if you will. Like, we, we kind of acknowledge it, but we don't really acknowledge it kind of thing. It's just a weird kind of aberration, right? So I don't think 2013 could factor in anything. But my point is, sometimes you get guys to come back. Sometimes you don't. It's, 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 it's weird. But if you're going to tell Coach Cal and Coach K to shift away from one and done because the last couple of champions have not leaned that way, where were the articles in 2015 that said, hey, Villanova, hey, Virginia, 
you get you guys need to get the one and done business. Where were those articles? Because from 2010 to 2015, that's championships, that's final fours, right? What I've always said is roster construction, every program has to do what fits it. Right? You if you're uh Tennessee, although their recruiting is going up a little bit, you know the, the the games in Knoxville might might not be fun for us this year. But but if you're depending on who you are, you've got to go about it different ways. You know, Roy Williams has had success, and he's dabbled with a, a big time stud every now and then. But he gets kind of those middle tier elite guys, gets him to stay for a year or two. That works. He's got success. So I don't Some think of those guys. That Kentucky has had that would fit that, like you said, you know, they blow up and leave. They've also had some transfer, you know, Jamal Baker and, and Charles Matthews and, and some of that. So having those guys stay could kind of fill some voids also. And but here, here's the thing, Johnny Juzang, right? Because everybody and their brother, when Jamal Baker had the big night the other night. Everybody and their brother, you know, oh, he would have been great. Even when Charles Matthews. And I think there's this misnomer, this misinformation that Cal doesn't give these guys chances. And I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's fair. Because I watched Charles Matthews at Michigan, okay? What he was doing at Michigan was pretty much what Cal was asking to do in Lexington, except he got to shoot a little bit more. And I think if he was a third-year player at Kentucky, he would have been able to shoot like he did at Michigan, right? So I think it's a little unfair to see a guy go to another team, go to a different situation, say, ah, look, 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 there you go. I, I just don't think it's fair. I don't think Cal runs guys off. But I don't think you get a lot of guys to buy into what he's saying. Right? Because let's say you are a five-star recruit. And we have to keep in mind that all five stars are not the same. Right? You know, how many players are going to be like Eric Bledsoe and sign on with John Wall already on the team, right? You see, you see what I'm saying? So it's not so much that uh, they don't want to sacrifice, but that's a, that's a lot. So I just, and, and I'm not saying Cal is without fault here. I'm not saying that he shouldn't, you know, be, be drug over the coals. What I am saying is it, it's these things, like everything else in life, it's not as black and white as you want them or you need them to be you know this this whole thing that bubbles up every now and then well Kentucky just needs more homegrown players that's what we need that's what fixes this well first off the state of Kentucky the Commonwealth of Kentucky high school basketball doesn't produce enough talent to sustain a blue blood program. That's first. Like if you're Chicago, 
you know, and you look at uh, when DePaul was really good with the Mark Aguirre's and those kinds of guys from Chicago. I mean, think about it. If you're DePaul and you keep Derrick Rose, you keep Anthony Davis, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, you keep Nick Anderson over though, even though he went to Illinois. But yeah, if you do that, you can do it. Like, people younger than us don't remember when St. John's was St. John's, right? But if you've got <laughs> Mark Jackson, you got a Chris Mullen that you keep, okay then, right? <laughs> so Kentucky, I understand we have a love affair with the homegrown kids because every time people say we need some homegrown kids, I say to myself, okay, and they'll point out to you, you know, 2012, we had Darius Miller, okay? You know, 98, you know, Cameron Mills and Scott Padgett, gotcha. Uh, you know, you can go back to Goose Givens and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But when you talk about the 2012 team, and I love Darius Miller. Please don't misunderstand. I love Darius Miller. But I'm going to go out a limb and say that Chicago-born Anthony Davis, New Jersey-born Michael Kidd Gilchrist, uh, Pacific Northwest Washington State-born Terrence Jones, and I don't know where Deron Lamb is from off the top of my head. Those guys also contributed, right? So I understand you need a Kentucky stud to maybe make us feel better. But Kentucky is Kentucky because the best players come. Uh, somebody called into KSR the other day and talked about Kentucky is Kentucky because of the unforgettables. Because of Feldhouse, Farmer, Pelfrey, and Woods. And what they meant. <laughs> Look, man, I love the Unforgettables. Their banner is hanging in the rafters. They are Kentucky royalty. But when it was just them playing, they were 14 and 14. When Jamal Mashburn showed up, they went to an Elite Eight in the greatest game ever played and a Final Four the next year. All I'm saying is this notion that just Kentucky kids can do it. I don't think, I, I, I don't think that's fair. Because does that mean Dan Issel is not a legit Kentucky legend? Jamal Mashburn, Sam Bowie, the Walkers, Kenny and Antoine, Tony Delk, who you do a podcast with? Those guys aren't Kentucky guys? Jeff Shepard? Did, did, did Jody Meeks going for 54 in Knoxville, did it me not mean anything because he's not from Kentucky? Did you not cheer on the fifth three when Tayshaun Prince hit it from Logo because he was coming from California? Did you not feel some sort of way when in 2005, after losing in double overtime to Michigan State in the Elite Eight, Chuck Hayes crying in his uniform? Did that not mean anything to you? So I get what people are saying, but come on now. Kentucky is Kentucky because no matter what the configuration of college basketball is, pre-integration, pre-shot clock, when freshmen couldn't play, the shot clock comes in, the three-point line comes in, you have veteran teams, you have one and dones. Whatever, over the last 100 years of basketball, Kentucky gets the best of whatever. 
So if you don't think Louis Dampier and Cotton Nash are Kentucky legends, if you don't think Kyle Macy from Indiana is a Kentucky legend, if you don't think Walter McCarty from Evansville, Indiana is a Kentucky legend, if, if, if that don't make you feel good, if, that's, if those players aren't what you're looking for, I can't imagine Kentucky basketball without those guys. So it's, I understand the frustration, but we still, even in the frustration, let's be a little bit realistic, right? Let's be a little bit, okay. Because this season, it's still salvageable. We, like, like you just found out 20 minutes ago, Kentucky's not playing UCLA on uh, Saturday. It's UNC. Yeah, yeah. We don't. I was recording. I was recording with with Tony. We were doing Believe in Kentucky, and I just couldn't plug it. We had uh, we had John T. Edge, the host of True South on SEC Network, and so we was kind of caught up in that. I ain't even seen the the change or anything. So when y'all listen to that, I apologize for us still at the end talking about UCLA and Louisville. My bad. Hadn't, hadn't seen the adjustment. <laughs> Apologize. You, no, and, and and that's the thing is it's going to be flexible. So you, you you don't know. You know, there are teams that haven't played any games. I don't think DePaul's men's team has played. There's, we, look, it, we don't know. And I think trying to read too much into the pandemic as it is raging on. I know the vaccinations here. I, I get all that. But this year is just different. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and like I said last week, not to beat that dead horse, it's not as if Kentucky basketball has fallen off the map. Yes, no Final Four since 2015. But we have been close. Okay. And I'm watching highlights of Tyrese Maxey and Emmanuel Quickly in their NBA debuts. And as I tweeted out today, you can't tell me that team couldn't have done something special last year. You can't tell me that with the way those people are playing. So, uh, and I look and I get the frustration. Nobody wants to be one and four. We don't do moral victories here. I get it. But there's nothing wrong with looking at the second half against Notre Dame and saying, okay, this group, maybe this was their moment to get it. Maybe this was what they needed for the light to click on like okay we need to do this all the time maybe it's what they needed I, you know I don't know it's, it's gonna have to be for sure it's gonna have it, it's gotta be it, if it's not you, you don't have it you don't have a Detroit Mercy because that game is like Barry Sanders they just can't they can't it's so elusive you know it, they think they got it scheduled <laughs> that game jukes them I know, I know Ellen got to be ticked off because it just it just can't seem to happen. Uh, you had the Moorhead State, and that was it. But you got to bottle up what you did in the second half, and and that's where it's got to be. Um, and as you find chemistry and still try to figure each other out, and no leadership because there isn't. You know, Keon's only leader; he's not playing, and so everybody's trying to. You know, is is Clark gonna be the leader? He's the one that went and picked Sar up after the miss shot. Maybe he's stepping into it now that he's been given the keys to the offense for running the point. 
we'll see. Uh, but it, you just, like Cal says, we got to win some games because time is running out a little bit and conference play is going to be tough. So Right. We'll and, and, and look, again, let me reiterate, one in four is unacceptable, right? There's, there's just, and, and for as bad as they have looked, I, I get it. You know, I, I, and I am just as frustrated as everybody else. I don't want to act like I'm talking down to Kentucky fans because I am one. Uh, one and four is unacceptable. Like it, it just, it just is. Like I don't care what the combination of circumstances are. Kentucky should not be one and four. But you, you put that out there, and you're like, well, okay. But then, you know, during a pandemic, ah, oh, that that changes the calculus just a bit. Uh, I, I think Cal's got to, he's got to work his magic. He's got to work it quick. Um, as our guest hops on here with us, uh, Bradley Charles, we'll we'll work you on in this conversation too. Before we move on to some football, but. This, this young fellow writes for Bluegrass Sports Nation, producer for Wayne Turner's The Burner Podcast, which is on the field of 68, and also a broadcaster for WCBJ and BSN. Bradley Charles, Stanton, Kentucky, Powell County's own. Doing good. Glad to be on the show. How you doing? I appreciate it and looking forward to having a good conversation with you guys. Man, thank you for taking the time to, to hop on, follow each other on Twitter for a little while, and, and finally glad to have you on here with us, man. That we got some games and season, and yeah, a lot to talk about. To talk Obviously, about. UK football, uh, big news with the offensive coordinator and basketball team not off to the best start, and you got the high school playoffs this week too for uh, football. So, a big sports week right now. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to ask you, uh, just just producing Wayne Turner's podcast for the Field of 68, just, just what's that like, getting to, to kick it with him and, and chit-chat with him and, and the guests that y'all have had on? Uh, I do the podcast with Tony Dell. Tony was on that podcast telling stories. That's a great question. Ago. I'm glad like you asked it. And, you know, the Field of 68 was only started a couple months ago by uh, Jeff Goodman and Rob Dosser, and they got some national podcasts and also some local podcasts based around like certain programs. And so, you know, I got to, I've been with them for about a month now and, you know, it's been really, really cool. Uh, you know, growing up, I wasn't alive when, when Wayne played at UK, but you know, from my family, I've always heard a lot about Wayne and, and those teams that he, he was on. And, you know, it's pretty cool after we uh, record a, a podcast, you know, me and him will we'll sit and talk for 30 minutes and, you know, so I've only really been able to uh, talk with him and get to know him for a couple of weeks. But, you know, Wayne's a, a really good dude. And, uh, you know, he has a lot of great guests on his podcast, you know, John Calipari, uh, but also ones that you don't get to hear uh, from a lot. Uh, Jeff Shepard, uh, Tony Delk, obviously you get to hear him a lot. And uh, we got some others uh, coming coming in and a lot of great conversations. And that's been uh that's been really fun. I've had to kind of learn how to use some software, but it's been really fun. And uh, I think uh, so far, my biggest takeaway from it is that Tony Delk actually told a story about Rick Pitino leaving two players at the hotel 
before an Elite Eight game. I don't know if you saw this, but apparently he waited for them to see the bus, and then he told the bus driver to pull off. <laughs> so they saw the bus drive away, and they had to catch rides. Uh, had to catch a ride to the game with fans. So that's probably the best story that I've uh, that I've got from that uh, that podcast so far. So you you better be 15 minutes early with Patino and and Ronnie didn't Roger Rose wasn't quite on. No, like from what I from heard, what I've heard just on the podcast, Patino you know, really pushed those guys in practice, and you know he's he had a uh, a lot that he expected from those guys, and you know, I look forward to hearing more stories going on. But you know it's been it's been great uh, for me so far, and you know getting to getting you know some. Uh, connections and developing some, you know, friendships with uh, Jeff Goodman and, and Rob Dosser. Those, you know, great guys. Um, you know, they've really been really great to me. And obviously, uh, Wayne is really cool, uh, really cool dude. And he's coaching uh, high school basketball uh, girls team in Louisville. So that's been a lot of fun to kind of just get to, to meet new people. Now, Terry, did you did you hear what? What Bradley said when he first started talking about producing Wayne's podcast, you know how he how he made us feel. Oh, I, I wasn't even alive when when Wayne was playing at Kentucky. I, I know you caught that too, TV. You there, Terry? Uh-oh. Yeah, I was just giving you a little hard time for being so young because we were probably about your age <laughs> when when Wayne was at UK. Taking it to Duke, helping Kentucky overcome yeah. that seventeen-point right, deficit right. to advance to the Final Four. Uh, Wayne got isoed on Steve Wojciechowski, who I think was the I think ACC Defensive Player of the Year that season, and they just cleared it out. And Turner abused him over and over. And yeah, over. yeah. I've gone back and watched that game. Obviously, it was they aired it. A while back, but even as as a kid, I would I would pull that game up on YouTube and watch the final two minutes. And you know, I'm I am uh, I guess pretty young, but I don't like to you know hold that against me. Actually, what I've been doing lately is uh, you know I, I kind of trying to be an historian of, of UK sports the best I can. Obviously, I never been close to others. Just you know, uh, given that I wasn't alive for you know a lot of its history to this point, anyways, but. What I've actually found to be kind of fun is uh, going back and watching old UK football games. And I say that because you get to relive all these crazy losses. And I, I'll go to my dad and I'm like, hey, dad, you know, what if I told you that UK lost a football game because the defensive lineman made a one-handed inter- interception, you know, inside the 15? And he'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. So, you know, you get to relive all these like old, you know, classic heartbreak uh, UK football games, and it's it's actually been, uh, I guess, looking back on it, it's kind of fun, but it also is just, you know, it kind of, and in other ways, like man, all the bad luck that Kentucky's had uh, over the years in, in football. But it's I've I've kind of enjoyed it. I've kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we were we were talking about, you know, we started off with. The Cats, of course, off to a little rocky start this season. What is what's been your take on, on what you've seen? And of course, we saw the last 20 minutes against Notre Dame you know, after the bad first half, 
what's your take going forward now as they have to switch and get ready for North Carolina? Well, I think that, the you know, obviously, I, I think to me, bigger picture, I look at it, you know, Duke and Kentucky, the two things that they really have in common, I guess the most, obviously they have Hall of Fame head coaches, but they're kind of known for one and dones and their fan base. And with this season, you've kind of, obviously the fan base isn't what it typically is. And the one and dones, that's kind of uh, hindered a little bit because practices are different. And you know, obviously the crowds, and it's to me, it's not a coincidence that both teams are struggling. Uh, so that's that's the first thing I look at. You know, going forward, you know they they have to start uh, winning some games uh, to make the NCAA tournament because you know it, you're going to have to earn uh, your way there. And, and so far, they have not they have not done that. They got a lot of time to to change that going forward. You know, as far as on the court. Um, I don't really know what the answer is, but uh, you know, hopefully Cal Perry can can figure that out. Uh, you know, for, for Big Blue Nation, but you know, there's a lot of work ahead. But I really think just getting some reps, and getting some experience, is probably the biggest thing for this team right now. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. That's what we're talking. Yeah, we got you back, man. I, 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 I uh, before we lost you. And, and look, I was just messing with Brad a little bit. I said, "Did you hear how you know he made us feel old by saying he wasn't alive?" I, 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 I could hear you. And let me just remind everybody that Wayne Turner and I were in freshman, some kind of freshman seminar together. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm officially the same age as Wayne Turner. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we we ain't mad at you, Brad. No, I'm not. You know, man. Yeah. Don't take it that way. Just you know, we had a, we had Evan Evan Kinzeron who does some podcasting, uh, does the Ball Talk podcast. We had him on because, unfortunately, he's a big Lakers fan, just like Terry. So we were talking UK and we're talking Lakers, and when we asked him who his favorite Laker was, he, he said, he Julius, said Randall. Julius Randall. Terry, and at the time, he, because and 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 he was born during that. <laughs> During the like the non-championship run, like he was born during a gap, so yeah. So I love having these guests on that make me feel uh, uh, make me feel ancient. But no, <laughs> long in the tooth. There you go. I, I went to high school with Evan. Actually, I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, he's a oh, great oh, me, I, I believe. I don't want to get that many, but uh, yeah, we went to high school together. Okay. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, before we get into some some high school football, we just we got a little basketball talking in. What's everybody's thoughts on the the new offensive coordinator Liam Cohen, who will be coming to Lexington whenever the LA Rams season ends? Well, I think that he's really he's checked all the boxes. I think for what fans wanted in a, in an offensive coordinator, coordinator and what Stoops wanted. You know, in his press conference today, Stoops said that. He wanted a coach who kind of specialized in quarterbacks and wide receivers. Cohen with the Rams, you know, he spent time coaching wide receivers and quarterbacks. I think he fits the bill of a young coach with, you know, maybe a, an innovative offense. So to me, I think it's a great hire. And I really think, I mean, obviously, you know, we haven't seen the performance on the field yet, but as far as just leading up to that point, I think, he, you know, from what we've seen so far, you know, he's as good as you can expect, and 
uh, you know, for for that job because really to this point he fits everything that that you would want in an offensive coordinator. And Stu uh, Merrow, Vince Merrill said that uh, once they hired Cohen, they had you know recruits, a lot of skilled players, especially messaging, uh, you know, the coaches, and were really excited about the hire. And I think that you know, firing Eddie Grand was really just about not so much a little bit based on performance, but I think mainly it's based on getting a new guy in there to kind of, I think, you know, fans were getting kind of tired of Grant, I think. Uh, you know, he's a great guy, obviously, but I think fans were ready for a change. And I, I think the biggest thing is it was just becoming a distraction because the fan base was you know, really wanting a change, I think. And you don't want, you know, that to seep into the locker room. And, and clearly now, at the very least, I think recruits, it means a lot to them because with, you know, how, you know, the passing offense and the offense as a whole at times, you know, has really struggled over the past couple of years. And um, obviously they did great with Lynn Bowden running the ball, but, you know, the passing game struggled a little bit. But I think really this, this hire to Cohen was really just more about changing the perception and keeping people bought in and selling the future of we will get to a more, you know, modern offense that can put points on the board. I'm the same. You know, my thing with Eddie Grand, I think that the perception of Eddie was worse than he was actually tasked with doing. And so when you're in the professional, in the NFL, and your coordinator kind of has that, you can weather that storm. You know, we've all seen offensive coordinators have like bad seasons or whatever and get it right. But with uh, the college game and the recruiting aspect of it, uh, you really, uh, just kind of piggyback, you really have to be able to have something you can sell recruits. And if the recruits are excited and they're still coming, then then the fans have that buy-in. And, and so I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an X's and O's kind of person, but uh, if there's any wrinkles that we can add to the passing game, I'm all for it. You know, as we have seen, Alabama is moving toward a pass-happy offense. I saw where they signed four of the top nine receivers in the country. (laughs) You know, so uh, if Alabama can shift that way, then I think uh, Kentucky can can add some dynamic passing to the game, uh, to the offense as well. And I was... You know, I was never one that got as riled up at Eddie as a lot would. And there were some moments, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Terry, where I was like, man, you know, the the quarterback draw from five at Alabama on third and goal, I think that was one of those times. But you keep hearing all the reputation, the rumor, you know, Stoops is, you know, Stoops is not letting the coordinators do it. He's not letting the offensive coordinators do their thing. He comes out and says, you know, he's 95% hands off with the offense. I don't have time to fool with that. So a lot of people still roll their eyes when he said that. But if you're going to part ways amicably, amicably with your guy and Eddie Graham, they were friends. They were, they were tight. Eddie was a good guy. But if, if you really flip it into it's not personal, it's just business mode and, and part ways with Eddie, 
Well, that's that's that a lot. So now you bring in a guy that's not conservative, not just you know he's more diverse, can put some wrinkles in there. So if you're gonna come in, and let him do his thing. That says a lot. If you're willing to part ways with the guy that you were close to, and so the actions kind of speak volumes there. And if he comes in and is able to do his thing and, and get the tight ends involved and. You know, with Bo Allen, Joy Gatewood, whoever wins the job, advance the passing game where Kentucky becomes more two-dimensional and harder to defend, well, then that's, you know, that's what you want. And he's talking about wanting the program to continue to climb and go forward and not have any dips and no regression. So, you know, maybe he is going to walk the walk. And, you know, he's talked to talk with this hire and he's parting ways with a friend. So uh, we'll see what happens when, when Cohen does get here. I was one that I might be, you know, in the minority on this, but I was one that did not want Joe Moorhead. And look, he's a good guy. I saw the little SEC Network they, features they did on him when he took the Mississippi State job. He had success at Penn State before we going to Mississippi State. He was doing good at Oregon. I understand all that. But when Mississippi State came here a couple years ago, Kentucky beat them down 28 to 7. I know he wasn't the coordinator, but he was the head coach. He's still an offensive guy. Me living down here in Tennessee, that reminded me of, you know, you got Derek Dooley, who it didn't work out for. He never got a signature win. Joker breaks the losing streak to Tennessee against Derek Dooley. The best win in Derek Dooley's era was over Cincinnati and Butch Jones. And Tennessee, Tennessee fired Derek Dooley and hired Bush Jones. I said, how you going to hire the dude that he beat for one of his few wins? It just didn't make sense. It was a bad look. I would have felt the same way if you brought Moorhead in, a dude that, you know, Kentucky thumped while he was a well, head coach. So I was, you know, I was to me, this to hire was coach. more so, and, and firing of Grand was more so about the perception of it all. And, you know, to me, I don't think the perception of Moorhead is much different than the perception of Grand. So I think Cohen Cohen was the guy. Once I kind of heard of the, the final names, you know, I think he was the guy. And, and Stoops obviously, uh, you know, felt the same way, or at least had him, you know, towards the top. And you know, like I said, to this point, you know, he fits everything that I think recruits want. I think he fits everything that the fan base wants. And you know, I'm excited to see what uh, what he can do with this offense. Yeah, yeah. So that was. That was about the only thing I was really hunkered down on. Just I'm not really wanting to see Joe Moorhead, and that wasn't the direction they went. Got to get y'all's thoughts too. Uh, I think well deserved, but John Sloman posthumously receiving the Broyles Lifetime Achievement Award. So that was I, I don't think they could have given that award to anybody else, whether you look at yeah, that was obviously or not. You know, and, and to a certain extent, it's really you know who cares about the award from the aspect of you know, the story of John Schlarman is so much more than him just winning this award. Like, that's really a small, doesn't really matter in the big picture because, you know, what he went through, you know, it's just remarkable. And, you know, the fact that he was able to do that, it really just, you know, puts things in perspective for you. And, you know, it was, it was nice that he got the award, but even if he didn't, you know, uh, it still speaks for itself. And, he, you know, he didn't really need that award for anything. That's, you know, it's a nice piece, but you know, the award is kind of beneath what he did, if that makes sense. I hope I'm not coming out 
away with that. But you know what he did was was re- remarkable, and it didn't need and and a uh, an award to really showcase how just unbelievable it was. I I agree. Uh, to quote the great late great Fife Dog, taking it old school, Vinny. I, I never let a statue tell me how nice I am. So it's great. <laughs> And I am very thankful and appreciative of the honor. Those of us that follow and love Kentucky understand what Coach Schlarman meant to the program. But it is great. It is a nice gesture to get that kind of outside, uh, you know, recognition as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Man, Bradley, before we get into these, these, uh, State football finals matchups, man. Tell us about these couple other Twitter pages that you're running, and then tell us. Yeah, so uh, I started KY Fourteenth Region Sports uh, two or three years ago, and uh, through that page, I uh, got in touch with the guy who runs or who ran Eastern Kentucky High School Sports, and uh, eventually he kind of quit running it and. And I didn't really touch Twitter for probably a year or so. And then I was like, hey, man, I want to get back into this. You know, I'm starting my own Twitter page and I'm trying to promote Bluegrass Sports Nation. So he gave me the uh, login info. So that's how I have two high school accounts. That wasn't necessarily by design, but that's how it worked out. I'm just I'm running the Eastern Kentucky High School Sports page for him. You know, it's not it's not my page, but I do run it for him. And uh, I've done that for a little over a year now but yeah I try and I try and make it uh, to where I cover all the schools in Eastern Kentucky on that page I obviously don't come close enough to that because I'm not putting in you know uh, a lot of hours into it but I do try and, and cover a lot of schools with that and uh, obviously a lot of BSN articles uh, show up on those pages but uh, as for Bluegrass Sports Nation you know, I was very fortunate to have uh, met Brendan Miller, uh, the owner of Bluegrass Sports Nation, a couple years ago, and uh, he he made me the the head writer, uh, basically for uh, UK football and uh, UK men's basketball for uh, BSN. And you know, he kind of he hired me when I had basically no experience writing articles, so uh, I've kind of developed that skill. Uh, since I got hired and you know Brendan is a a great guy and he uh, he does some some photography uh work with with KSR some like uh, the West Carter game against uh Beachwood you know those were he went and shot that game uh, for KSR and they used some of his pictures of uh some pictures like UK I know like uh an 80 grand picture I think they used a couple weeks ago but you know Brendan's a great guy and he's really done done a lot for me and you know i can't say enough about what he's done for you know the athletes in in eastern kentucky and bsn got started uh going into my senior year i played at uh, powell county and it was started going into my senior year and you know we really didn't have an outlet that you know really gave us the coverage that like what he does now for uh these high schools and you know i i really i like being able to work with BSN because I think it's it's a very special outlet because you know you'll have you know Lynn Bowden and uh, you know uh, Joe Mixon and then the next story will be about 
you know, 10-year-olds and hiding playing football against 10-year-old Jackson. And I think, you know, it's, it's that, it's that, those types of stories that make BSN what it is. It's, you know, it's uh, obviously, you know, they cover, uh, we cover some college and uh, college athletics and some professional uh, sports as well. But, you know, what makes it special to me is uh, being able to cover uh, local high schools. And I'm a, I'm a 13th region guy. I'm born and raised in Harley County, so I've definitely been checking out that. Yeah, if you ever have any page. anything that uh, sure, good for that good region, stuff. just make sure to tag oh. me in it or, or send it to me on that page. And I try and, I try and, uh, you know, get as many schools on there as possible. I can't see everything though. That's my problem. Okay. Yeah, definitely do that. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, there's so much. And, and there's always, uh, and you know, went through the pandemic, there was nothing going on. And now everything's hitting at the same time. So, yeah, it's, it's you can dive in here. Yeah, and dive especially in there with four regions and other things going on uh, in just, life. But I, I try and do what I can with that. No, I, I just, in high school, I just played football. Play football or, County or I, I spent... The majority of my time, well, all my time on varsity was on the, the offensive and defensive line. And I guess as far as when I look back at, in my high school career, you know, we had a really good team and a really good, uh, really good lineman. So I didn't really get to play me or uh, some of my other friends. We didn't get to play till you know, our junior, senior year. Like uh, my friend, uh, Ben Watson, he uh, got a scholarship I believe a scholarship and it's play at Cumberland's University of Cumberland's. He did not start or play any significant minutes in a varsity game until his senior year because we 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 were so good, especially at uh, at the, at the line line of scrimmage, offense, defense. And but when I look back at it, my I guess what I would consider the greatest accomplishment I was a part of uh, my junior year on senior night. Historically, you know, our program had been. You know, pretty bad on senior night, and we played Lexington Christian Academy when they were seven and two. And that next year, they went on to have an undefeated regular season. But we played them when uh, when they were seven and two my junior year. It was at Powell County, and we, we won. I believe it was twenty eight twenty three. They actually had a touchdown on the final play, so it was really a two score uh, victory. And I think they they got up by two scores in the beginning of that game, and. Uh, we came back and rallied and, and got the win. And that was, you know, coming from a, a small town and you beat the Lexington Christian Academy team that uh, an assistant coach on that team was actually Guy Morris. So, you know, uh, yeah, being able to do that. And I, they had, you know, several coaches on that team wow. a lot more than, than we did. So that victory is one that I kind of point to. You know, we were a small school, uh, you know, relative to, to Lexington, but that was a big time and then of course you know we lost uh, the vast majority of our team and we went to LCA my senior year and lost by 42 I believe 60 to 18 was that score so uh, they they uh, they answered back and that, that one wasn't uh, too pretty so that, that did not work out so well but that junior year is the game I really looked to is like you know we were a good team and you know here's how you know that nothing against 
the big cities, the Lexington, the Louisville's, and Owensboro and Bowling Greens. But when, when yeah, and I, I got to play a pretty decent role in that game, three quarters at uh, one of the defensive tackle spots, and later that uh, season in the we hosted the first ever home playoff game at Powell County and beat Jackson County, and then played Bell County, and we lost that game. I had a pretty big tackle on like third and one, I think, and. Uh, so that was that was pretty cool, but we ended up losing to Bell County, which uh, you know nothing nothing wrong with that necessarily because they got a really good program. Oh, they've been good for years and years down at Bell County. Those Bobcats, uh, they always got a tough squad. Let's uh let's look at these matchups for the. Get the sponsorship right. UK Orthopedic State Football Finals. That is a lot of words to talk about the state championship games, but uh, at least got to put some respect on their name since they got the sponsorship and all. Friday and Saturday, three games a day. Start first single A, Kentucky Country Day in Paintsville. Woody, and, and as far as this year goes, not as much Eastern Kentucky representation as it was last year, had some upsets along the way that I'm sure you'll get to and, and mention along the way, but Kentucky Country Day. Well, I'll, I'll start off by what saying you, that I cover uh, Breathitt County for Bluegrass Sports Nation, and we, we stream basically every game Breathitt has for football. So I got to watch any of these teams. Uh, Breathitt played Beachwood, but I didn't go to that game. So I haven't got to personally watch any of these teams play, but I have, you know, I do follow it and uh, keep up with it. And uh, as for... Uh, Kentucky Country Day in Paintsville, not to go too far off topic. Uh, you know, uh, Kentucky Country Day is averaging 41 points per game. That ranks 12th in the state. Uh, they're 16th in the state in points allowed per game. So, you know, they got a really good rushing defense and they can, you know, force turnovers. You know, Paintsville, they're a well rounded team, uh, very good defensively. They allow about 12 points per game. They also, just like uh, their opponent, you have a great rush defense and create turnovers, so that should be a good game. And, you know, for this set of games this weekend, you know, when you look at the numbers, this is going to be a really, really fun week because, you know, everyone seems to have a top-tier offense and an elite defense, and, you know, that should make for some special games. And, you know, the biggest thing that stood out to me about all this is, you know, Pikeville, Corbin, uh, Somerset, Belfry, Frederick Douglass, Johnson Central. None of them are playing this weekend. I mean, you know, I would have thought uh, before the season, you probably would have had at least one, you know, maybe you know two or, or or three state titles out of that bunch, but not one even playing in the title game. And I think that says a lot about where uh, high school football is in Kentucky. Those are, yeah, to say all of those guys would be watching this weekend, you're exactly right. Most people would have, would have argued. It'd be really crazy. That that really is, to me, that's, that's definitely, that's impressive Uh, that uh, those, those schools weren't able to make it. And that says a lot about those other teams. Beachwood and LCA, Lexington Christian Academy. And, and look, Beachwood, you mentioned Bell County been good forever. So is Beachwood up there in northern Kentucky. I'm so old, Bradley, that 
So high school I went to was Cumberland, which is, is not even open anymore. It's been consolidated into Car into Harlan County High School. Back when it was Cumberland, Cumberland we had they have some good teams when I was in high school. Cumberland would always lose in the playoffs to Pikeville. Close games, tough games, tough losses. But then Pikeville would the following week get smoked by Beachwood. So I'm like, man, Beachwood, these dudes, they doing this to Pikeville year in and year out. Whew. So they squeaked by West Carter. I watched that one last week on the Mansa Sports Stream. Uh, West Carter down 20 to nothing, battled back and gave them all they wanted. Beachwood wins 35 34. Yeah, so LCA, they have a top 10 passing offense in the state statistically. And this is probably a game that I have one of the closer kind of relationships with, I guess, because, you know, I played against LCA twice and played against Beachwood. So I can kind of picture this one better than all the others. And, you know, this should be an interesting game. Uh, You know, we'll see how it happens, but how it plays out. But uh, definitely should be a fun matchup. And, you know, I think you'll see a lot of points in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely look for that one. Game two. Get everybody started with the first one. This one follows it up. The nightcap. Talk about those upsets. You mentioned Franklin County is in there against another perennial state power, Boyle County out of Danville. They always in the mix. Franklin County Johnson Central knocked off as you mentioned um, Johnson Central who that's just been knocking out my Harlan County Black Bears here lately because they are a machine but that Johnson Central machine Yeah, you know I I thought Johnson Central would would win that game. They did not but you know to me, when I played at Powell, the two schools in Eastern Kentucky that we kind of, I guess, kind of looked to, really Belfry won, but the second one was Johnson Central as to just kind of like the powers of Eastern Kentucky were those two schools. So that they're, you know, that, so the fact that they're both not playing this weekend, you know, says a lot about these other teams. And, you know, Franklin County, you know, they obviously had to play well to, to beat Johnson Central because I know when I was back in high school, I met a, uh, one of, Johnson Central's players and you know he was tremendously athletic and he's like yeah I'm a second stringer and I was like what <laughs> and, you know <laughs> yeah you know, I, I felt like like you know at Powell County I actually deadlifted 605 pounds on a trap bar when I was 16 so I felt like you know I was pretty strong and stuff and you know I, I go and see this guy and I'm like wow you know I don't don't really come close to him I don't think and he's like yeah I, you know I, I, I get some reps with the first team some and that's just you know, that told me all I needed to know about Johnson. So, yeah, definitely Franklin County being able to get that victory is impressive. And, you know, Franklin has an elite uh, passing attack. Uh, they have the state's leader in sacks and uh, one player tied for second in, in the state interceptions. Uh, Boyle is fourth in the state in sacks per game. Uh, they have a top five defense, number one in the state in scoring margin, lead the state in points per game. So, this should be a uh, a fun matchup, and you know part of part of uh, when you look at this is the offenses are elite, but you know so are the defenses. So it's hard to know whether you'll have a high scoring game or a low scoring game. Mm-hmm. 
Franklin and just again, Franklin went to Johnson Central and yeah, that's impressive. Give him no props again. They went over there and beat him. So um, started started off Saturday morning. Once again, it's eleven o'clock, three o'clock, seven o'clock. Three uh, A yeah, Ashland and Ashland Blazer. Uh, they they have one of the best defenses in the state, if not the best. Listen to this: in, in ten games, they've allowed forty-five points. I mean, you talk about shutting teams down. I mean, that's crazy. And then offensively, they're you know, fifth in the state in in rushing yards. Uh, I believe that's per game. So uh, you know that's that says a lot about uh, you know their offense as well. The E Town, you know, they got like basically every team this week a, a top tier offense, six in state points per game. And then defensively, they you know they they force turnovers, second to tied for second in the state in interceptions. So this you know, all these state championship matchups, you know, I think basically toss ups, and you look across you know each side, and there's you know incredible statistics that just pop out at you. Absolutely. Game two, we go to five A Owensboro. Had that yeah, obviously, uh, over late, uh, you know, Frederick Gavin Wimsett is a very bowling. talented player, and, and they got good pieces around him. And you know, then Bowling Green is, you know, they're allowing less than two points per game, so it should be another fun matchup. Yeah, a lot of a lot of something's got to give type matchups the immovable force irresistible object type of game yeah i, I agree with you there. Gonna I mean, crack first in you know all these teams games. seem to be pretty well rounded and you know it's, it's amazing how all these teams seem to be towards the top in the state in those you know in the main uh, statistical categories that's it and then in 6a nightcap on Saturday to, to close it out. So there's another, all this might be my favorite stat Trinity out of all these for, for these games. So this matchup obviously speaks for itself. Both teams a top 10 in points per game and points allowed per game. But get this, in, in nine games, Trinity's opponents, have, do you know how many yards they've rushed for? It's a negative, negative number, number, right? Ne- negative four yards. That's not an average. That's just a total. Negative four yards in nine games. Uh, you know, legit teams like that is that is crazy. Jeez. And then, you know, Trinity also to add to that, forty and a half sacks, and then Mail third in the state in scoring margin. And these are obviously you know two powerhouse programs. And you know, it's we'll see what happens. It, it's uh, definitely got the makings for a great game, though. Yeah, yeah, and our friend of this show and fellow Harlan County native, matter of fact, he's so old, he was at Cumberland, and I was watching him lead Cumberland to the state title. Wow. We were talking about Freddie Maggard. He is going to be calling all six of these games. So he is on the mic <laughs> all day Friday and all day Saturday. He's on Tom Leach's show, getting some pointers for Tom, and uh, he's like Tom. How do I how do I protect my voice and how do I do this? And Tom's like, drink plenty of water. Yeah, he said you also that's part have to of it. You know, I've, I've done a lot of broadcasting since I've got out of high school, school. and <laughs> the the first time I, I think the only time too I lost my voice was my first year 
and uh, it was towards the end of the season and we did probably four games a week and my dad does a color commentary for me and I lost my voice and I went to grab the water bottle and you know tried to take a take a drink and my dad was I think a little worried because he didn't want to be all by himself but uh, that's the only time I think that's ever happened to me uh, luckily but that was scary there for for 10 seconds just because you know, my dad would have to be by himself and uh, and then also I last year um, actually I guess it was earlier this year but uh, for the 14th region all a uh, classic uh, I had to do for well, I got to do for Bluegrass Sports Nation. We uh, broadcasted six games in in two days, four on, I think it was Saturday, and then two on Sunday. So I kind of got an idea of, of and at that time, we didn't have any commercials. So it was just straight, you know, from five minutes before tip off to, you know, the, the end, no break. So that was, uh, that was, that was challenging. And yeah, I try, I try and take all that in stride the best I can, but Six games in two days. I've got got a uh, I've got a feel for that, and you know, it, to a certain instance, it wasn't as, as super challenging because I've also had to I've done some broadcasts by myself on a flip phone, so you can imagine how hard that would be. Uh, so, but yeah, I've I've been in a lot of those tough situations, and best of luck to to Freddie tomorrow. But at least he he won't be taking any hits, so that's that's good. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. You got to be pretty adaptable and, and able to roll with the punches, you know, when you're in the booth. Sounds like for whatever might come your way. Yeah, you know. Whatever unexpected I, I think happen, you gotta, you as, as all the things, but, you know, doing a live broadcast by yourself on a flip phone in, you know, 2020, 2019 is, you know, is, is something you probably don't have to do a lot, but I've had to do it uh, several times. One of them was for a a regional championship game for softball in 2019. So I was, I was out to pass right field uh, recording the game. And this is actually a funny story. I, I was in Lexington and they're like, it was like the last day to play the game because they had to go to state, I think like the next day and they kept having rain delays. And so I, uh, I had to rush from Lexington to Breathitt County. And I got there maybe like 10 minutes before they started playing. So I go over to right field and I call in on the flip phone and I do the first probably two or three innings on the flip phone. And then uh, my dad was setting up the equipment. And he kind of motioned me back, him and my brother, they kind of motioned me back. So I, I go during during the inning switch during while we were on commercial break. And I'm like, okay, are we ready to, you know, to call in? He's like, no, I'm not finished setting it up yet. And uh, so I had to go back to right field to call the rest of the game. And we came back on air while I was still in the bleachers. So I had to welcome back, you know, you know, welcome back. It's, you know, 14th region championship game. You're listening to w- WCBJ. I'm Bradley Charles. And, you know, the Wolf County fans uh, were kind of laughing at me a little bit, you know, like good spirit. But no, that was, you know, I couldn't just let it go to on dead air. So I had to say something. And that was wasn't ideal, but, you know, I got through it. Yeah, you know, Dad has, he introduced me uh, to sports back when I was real little, and I remember 
you know, as a little kid, asking him about, you know, uh, Kentucky's chances against, you know, Georgia the next day, which typically weren't good back when I was real little. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's, he's taught me about, you know, the generation before me. And, you know, that way I, I know, like, you know, the Jack Lamberts and, and players like that, you know, Dick Buckus. And I know those guys. And a lot of my, my friends, you know, have no idea who those guys are. So I, you know, my dad has definitely uh, been great for uh, for me, and you know, I'm thankful for him. And but you know, with sports, you know, he's probably basically the main reason you know why I'm into sports is because you know he got me onto that, took me to my first game when I was like two and a half years old, I think. And so yeah, he uh, he he's he kind of started me on on sports, and I you know got attached right away. Uh, to that and so it's, it's definitely cool and you know one of those things that I think we'll look back on it in years to come as a really cool thing because we probably you know won't be able to do that uh, forever but it's definitely cool to be able to do that with him and not uh, too many people get to get to do that so I think it's pretty cool yeah for sure Sure, man. Well, we'll definitely be keeping up with what you're doing at BluegrassSportsNation.com. And, uh, hope you enjoy the games this coming weekend and keep up the good work with your broadcast. Yeah, we got a lot of good guests good coming up on, on Wayne's show. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I, I appreciate it. And now uh, I, I appreciate that a lot. And I'll make sure to tune in as much as I can. I got a busy schedule, but I, I listen to you guys as much as I get a chance to. definitely appreciate it everybody follow bradley b charles bsn and then e-k-y-h-s-4 okay. football, football is not mine but, football, uh, but yeah if you if they go to uh, the eastern kentucky high school sports page i got all those twitter accounts linked to that page at e-k-y-h-s sports you click on that uh, my my twitter handles there uh, also, my other high school sports page and Bluegrass Sports Nations, and so from there you can get connected to all the all of, you know the, who I work with and for pretty much. So that's that's where you can go to get in touch. I appreciate you guys having me on. I really do. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you guys. Hey, appreciate it, Bradley. Keep up the good work, man. Keep up the good work. Yeah, yeah you know, even though Bradley these Charles, young guys make us feel old. Sports Nation, young doing his thing, <laughs> man. To see him getting their hustle on, getting into the doing this thing at an early age kind of makes me, well, <laughs> I can't say I wish I would have done it at an early age because they didn't have this stuff when we were in our 20s. We were, you know, when, when, when I was 22, 23, you know, that was, we was worried about why yeah. okay. So let me just... Let, let me just leave it like that. You know, uh, I remember uh, working back at yeah. uh, the Circuit City, Nicholasville Road yeah. there in Lexington for uh, some of my college. And, and, and that was the whole thing was getting ready for Y2K. So we did not have uh, any kind of uh, podcast or anything like that. Yeah. It. I was working at 
Bank in Harlan, Harlan National Bank, and getting those computer systems ready. That was it's panic. It's pandemonium back then, man. Turn the century, boy. Woo! Anxiety. <laughs> so uh, that was it for everybody. Though. Everybody was nervous about it. You know, what's going to happen? Is it gonna, everything going to be deleted? It's going to be all messed up. But yeah, those Y2K days, man. Everybody was just waiting to see what was going to happen. Oh, but I'm like you, though. Know, that stuff wasn't around for us. Uh, kind of a late bloomer to blogging and writing and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I didn't even put it together until I was looking at Bradley's Twitter profile today. I, I listened to that field of 68 to some of those podcasts from Wayne Turner. And then I just looked at his bio again. I was like, oh, oh, wow, Bradley's producing. And hadn't even put two and two together. But that's that's some good, some good stuff that Wayne is doing. And like you said, having a lot of good guests. And this young fella is producing the show. So, uh, so all kind of good work that he's doing. One thing, too, that got to mention, got to give some love, because you was on there early. You was one of the early guests. But that got to give the Kentucky Dad Pod love, because I was on there the other day with Big Blue Drew. You were one of the first guests to be on there, uh, talking about Big Miss and Medium Miss, and just the whole idea that the concept that Drew came up with, just talking to all the different dads about non-UK stuff, about being dads, the daily routine, the interaction with the kids, the raising the kids, and all the stuff that dads are doing that doesn't get highlighted, because we all talk sports all the time, but just a really cool thing. You got to be on there, and then uh, Bradley McKee's been on there, friend of the show. Tony Delk's been on there. TJ Bosner, Justin Rowland, friend of the show. So many guys that we know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Drew's got a great thing going, so I, I try to check that out. Uh, as much as I can. Really, uh, like I said, a lot of strong guests on there to, to talk dad stuff. You know, it's always important to have that dad outlet. The Landon Young's dad was on there, and the one mom, she's at the anchor in Louisville, Haley. I'm blanking on her last name, but he had one mom on there, and she's raising her son by herself, and she was strong too. But uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's what news channel she's on in Louisville. I can call her name, you would know it, I'm sure. But yeah, one mom on there in addition to the dads, but just props to Big Blue Drew because he's doing his thing oh, absolutely. with that over there at the Sea of Blue. So I had to throw that out there too. Um, I had missed the fact that Kentucky was playing North Carolina. You told me as soon as the show started, just the schedule changed. I am aware of the fact that the uh, Kentucky women lost their first game today to DePaul, 86-82. So nobody said they were going to win them all. But we got to give props to Kyra Ilzey because the interim tag was removed from her title uh, just the other day. Mitch Barnhart named her the head coach, no longer interim coach. And she was definitely deserving of that. They're six and one now, and no doubt still going to continue to have a good season. Dropped one up there to 
Dwayne P. Yeah, I, I thought it was a, a good move uh, to have a, a little bit of continuity, yeah. especially the timing of Coach Mitchell stepping down. So uh, I think in the best interest of everybody, you take that interim tag off and you show some commitment to someone to show commitment to the program. So even though it was a loss today, uh, definitely you have to feel encouraged by what the uh, women's team has been able to, to do so far this season. Oh, Gus got fired, man. Wouldn't it be nice to get $21 million to go away TV? So here's Nick the thing Saban about three that, times, right? That's not good enough for uh, Auburn. Number one, 21 mil, 21 we've got to stop saying that there's no money to pay the players. Like, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to stop that. That's number one. Yep. <laughs> so... You can Yellow say Wood, for whatever reason Wood, man, you don't to want check. to pay the players, but you cannot say that there's no money. Not when uh, Auburn and South Carolina, among others, and even Vanderbilt are paying out these coaching salaries, these these uh, these buyouts like this. Right, the system has money. I forget what college football writer. Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic basically said it's kind of a bad look that Auburn is paying all this money to Gus to go away and they've laid off a bunch of people and the college football talking head said well you know this doesn't come from the school it comes from you know the boosters and blah 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 okay great like we all know like Cal does not get his nine million dollars a year directly from the UK right it's it's there's a, there's a process to it, right? But still, even if there's a process to it, it's still gross to have people lose their jobs and then go be a big-time booster and be able to raise $21 million. It's a bad look. It just is. Okay? With the SEC and ESPN entering into a Three billion dollars with a B contract. I did the math, and I think every school, all 14 schools, just from the TV money, is going to get roughly 21 million dollars a year. Okay, that's 21 million dollars a year, and you haven't sold a ticket. <laughs> okay, you haven't sold any merchandise. You've done nothing else except exist. So, again, you have to stop with there's no money. That, that you have to move on to something else. Secondly, I don't know what Auburn is looking for. I know everybody wants to go 13-0 every year. But as you point out, he's, you know, he's beat. Alabama three times this Alabama under Saban which I want to say they've only the Crimson Tide have only lost 12 (laughs) SEC games total under Nick Saban and three of those were to Gus so I think you just have to say okay what is 
what is what we can, what is what is what is a reasonable expectation of our program right you know we've had we have these discussions here in Lexington you know talking about what's the reasonable expectation for Mark Stoops is it 10 wins I think that's unreasonable at this point I think seven to eight wins is reasonable and then you kind of slide that bar you know uh, accordingly the problem with Auburn is Alabama (laughs) that's the problem and it would be you know similar to uh, you know let's say for example in 10 years time or let's say in 5 years time Louisville men's basketball doesn't beat Kentucky anymore. Kentucky gets another couple of Final Fours and a championship. It kind of doesn't matter what Chris Mack would do in the ACC, right? He can beat Duke. He can beat Carolina. But he can't be 0 for 6, 0 for 7 against uh, Kentucky. On top of Kentucky winning championships, right? look backwards you look at uh, Denny Crump the end of his tenure wasn't very clean do you know why his last final four was 1986 and that was great until Patino came and was going to final fours and winning championships and when Kentucky went to three straight title games even though Louisville won a couple, that close proximity is like, look, we, we got to do better than this. So that is kind of what happened at uh, at Auburn. I I don't know who they who they bring in. I I don't. Somebody pointed out that you know uh, Auburn is close to uh, is close to the Carolinas, so maybe Scott Satterfield is interested, and that was a fiasco. Oh yeah, yeah. I tweeted that. I, I put a tweet out about it. I had a little gift. You know, somebody peeping around the corner, and I was like, "That was uh, that was Saturday so, when she was out." Because you know, yes, Louisville's our rival, all that kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, fiasco. But, exactly. Uh, right. As I've told you, Mama B, Papa B, my brothers, lots of family members, Louisville alums, Louisville fans, Louisville whatever. Okay, so I don't go quite to the same places a lot of other Kentucky fans do. Uh, but when it comes to football coaches, they've really got a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to coaches flirting. Right? And looking at other jobs. And my, my part of it is self-inflicted. The history there. Right? If it was up to me, you don't bring Bobby Petrino back after what he did the first time. That's just me. But so they're shaky. And, uh, you know, John L. Smith, you know, kind of quit in the middle of a bowl game. Like, word broke that he was leaving in the middle. Like, what? 
and, and you know, I've got friends that talk about, you know, being at the game and the news broke. Like, so, <laughs> I, so they, they've got this PTSD when it comes to coaches looking. And it's like every step of the way, Satterfield did the wrong thing. I wasn't interviewing, but I only interviewed because it was close to my parents. Well, did you tell the AD? Did you tell Vince? I kind of he he knew what was going on because I kind of told him about it, and it's close to my parents. And you know, the 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 position that U of L f- uh, fans and stuff shouldn't be upset. No, they have every right to be concerned. The one caveat that I saw them toss out was was Charlie Strong, and. If Texas comes calling, you take the Texas phone call. Uh, I understand they want to be a destination job, but here, here's my thing when it comes to destination jobs, and I know I'm all over the place. In college basketball, college football, there's generally only maybe five or six destination jobs. Right, like like Cal is not going to go anywhere else. Okay, I think I think Tubby's kind of the exception because yeah. he got burned out. But this was kind of like the end, right? For yeah. Rupp, it was the end. For Joe B, it was the end. And for Cal, it'll probably be the end. And I think Patino would have stayed. Yeah. But again, if the Boston Celtics come and give you $100 million and complete control, you gots to go. You know, <laughs> I, I've had to tell Louisville fans, look, most Kentucky fans I know are not upset that Patino left. And I said, this isn't just looking back through rose-colored glasses. It's like, it's the Celtics. They're giving you all this control. <laughs> plus your coaching, plus this ungodly sum of money. Like, you gotta go. Right? I mean, that that's a, that's a gots-to-go situation. I said, where Patino lost people is when he came back to coach Louisville. I said, that's where he, that's where he got. So, with Charlie Strong and Texas coming, you have exactly. to, you have to take it. But, when we talk about destination jobs, there are also jobs that I think the right person will stay in forever. Well, what do you mean by that? Look at Iowa, uh, an area I'm becoming familiar with. Kirk Ferentz has been there since Hayden Fry left, and Hayden Fry was there for 30 years. They've had two coaches in like 50 years. Right. And with Ferentz, Yes, he, he like I, I said last week before, he's now got, he's the fourth coach to get 100 Big Ten wins. Right there with Woody Hayes, Bo Beckler, and I can't remember the other guy, and there's Kirk Ferentz. But if you look at his year, if you look at his year-by-year results, it's six wins, seven wins. You know, they had the, the 10 win. They went to the Orange Bowl back in the BCS. You know, it's there's a lot of six, seven, eight win seasons. 
but they love him. He loves it there and he's good to go. Right? You look at a place like you look at uh, Kansas State with Bill Snyder. Like who who would stay in Manhattan, Kansas for 20 years? Bill Snyder did. They had a very good team. You know, they had uh, the late 90s. They were a very good program, right? So I think with the right coach, you can make it a destination job for the right coach. I can envision Mark Stoops doing that at Kentucky. I'm not going to try to read the tea leaves, but I think if he can get to a 7-8 win consistent level, and with the occasional, if everything falls just right, a 9-10 win season, I think he could be here for a while. So you have to understand what your job is in the big scheme of things. Because as you and I talked about, nothing humbles a fan base more than a coaching search. Well, yeah, it, 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 t- t- Tennessee has been a disaster the last three or four. Tennessee. Right. Man. And, and, and even Kentucky. I thought when Tubby left, I'm like, okay, well, here comes Billy Donovan. I, You know, that was what I thought. Because you're thinking, how can anybody turn this down? Right? But it humbles you. Right. <laughs> Billy, Billy did it twice. <laughs> Speaking of, as a young dude I worked with, man, he's probably 24, 25, big Tennessee fan. And, uh, you know, <laughs> he said the other day, because they're they about to play Alabama, and then who else did they play? They play, they play Florida, their last game on, <laughs> on CBS. And this kid says, because, I mean, you can think about it, 24, 25. He's born in 96. He's too little to remember their title in 98. And he said, and I quote, direct quote, I forget what we said, talked about the game. He was, you know, eh, going to be another loss because he, he's apathetic and, and they're just not very good. And he said, every time I hear that SEC on CBS music, I get PTSD. He said, I have no good memories of us on CBS. None. And when I thought about it, I said, he doesn't. He was too young to remember them beating Florida and, and you know, beating Alabama and, and beating Georgia. But he said, he said, every time I hear that theme music, I get PTSD because they're always on there getting beat down. It's Alabama, it's Florida, it's Georgia, or Texas A&M, and, whatever. And, 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 you know, again, we've talked about this before. On their own, and and there are that's a all lot he of knows. teams, a lot of programs that were good when you and I were coming up and had been good that aren't good anymore. Uh, you know, I think the Florida-Tennessee game was recently, that used to be the game of the year in the SEC East, right? Whoever won that game, you know, went to the SEC championship game. That used to mean something. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Right? I mean, think about it. We, we, you know, talking to these young kids and what they know about, uh, you know, talking to to Bradley, uh, 
he was born after Wayne Turner, right? Now think about that. Think about if Kentucky hadn't done anything since 98. And every time we heard that CBS music, right? Or, or think about, you know, if, if, you know, the last great Kentucky basketball memory was that loss to Duke in 92. Think if that was the peak. You know, and how differently that's how triggering, if, you know, to use that word, it would be for the CBS road to the, you know, road to the final four music to come on. And, it, the, and, and the thing about the being a Kentucky fan, <laughs> particularly men's basketball, is there are there dips? Absolutely. But depending on your age group, there's a final four to talk about. There's a championship team to talk about. You know, uh, uh, Lisa that listens to us, she loves that Kenny Walker team. You know, she called in when we had Roger Harden on. That's her squad. She's ride or die for the 84 Cats. And I love that, right? Yeah. The young kids are, are talking about AD and MKG and, and Cat and 38-1. That's their squad they rock with, right? You and me, I'm going to tell you right now, ain't no squad better than 96. But I'll conversely say to you, if you could play every Kentucky team, no. you know, in a tournament of some no. sort, I'm going to tell you right now, 98 might surprise some folks, right? That's the, that's the great thing about, about being a Kentucky fan is you get a once in a generation team, once in a generation, right? <laughs> you get, you get these moments that you can latch on to these players where you don't go 30 years without yeah. being relevant. You know, it's like, yeah, we didn't make the final four between 98 and uh, and 2011, but, you know, we still had Jody Meeks in his 54. We still had Tayshawn Prince. We still had moments. But think about if you didn't have any of that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the same span of years for Louisville. What from eighty six to Patino took over in two thousand. When did they get to the first final four? Two thousand five. So eighty six to oh five. Okay. But ninety eight to twenty twelve. That's fourteen years without a final four. But like you know, you had the Bogans, you you know, and Prince. Well, and and it, and it goes back. I don't think we talk about this, but CBS Sports, Matt Moore, developed a point system on on ranking the best college basketball program. Right? You got so many points for a win, so many points for a conference title. I forget the exact methodology. And. To not to my surprise, Kentucky basketball was far and ahead above everybody else because they started from 1939, the first NCAA tournament, and came forward. They explained the methodology. A lot of people, blah, 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 Kentucky, blah, 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 blah. Um, the numbers speak for themselves because Kentucky has never been bad. 
you know, one 500 team, one 500 team in 70 years. Kentucky's never been bad. Yeah, I know they went to the NIT in 2013 and under Billy G, but they've never been abjectly terrible. That's that's the difference. So, um, but I got to talk to you real quick. I know I've got, but I got to get your thoughts on your boy, James Harden. So I'm open up and I'm going to let you, this is a safe space. I want you to talk about what, <laughs> about your boy, I saw the, the people, I think maybe my sister might have messaged me, everybody kind of making the jokes about the, the futons, and, and then I saw the picture of him in the warm-up, and uh, he packed on a few since the bubble, and you know, he he wasn't exactly ever shred. But you know, he does he does work a lot and you see him, you know, working out after games and getting shots up and exercising. But maybe it's the angle, maybe it's not. But he was filling out that shirt, he's filling out that jersey. So uh and we know about him wanting out. <clears throat> He said today he's focused on being here. I'm like, yeah, okay, you are until you're not. And, you know, that report about James gets everything he wants, you know, that kind of culture. And I mentioned the other day, all these little, you know, he ain't T.O., but all these little dust-ups and head-button, he's been in the middle of it. And you you talk, you give more credit for bringing in players and, and, and swinging for the fences and trying to win the title. But when the relationships go sour, it's Harden and Howard not getting along. It's Harden and CP3 not getting along. Harden and Russ not really getting along. What's gonna happen now that Wall and Boogie are here? And I like him. He, that's my favorite team. He's the best player on my favorite team. But I'm not gonna say he's James can't do no wrong like some of these. Houston media types and podcast hosts that I follow that just kind of try to explain away every little thing, every little complaint they got to, uh, they, they can justify. I, I ain't with that. So I'm kind of like, well, if you want out, go on, man. Maybe the maybe the window of you being here is is it's time to close. You know, if, if Boogie and Wallet healthy, let's let's go. And my apologies to Terrence Jones. I keep saying Chuck Hayes was the last UK guy to be there. They drafted Terrence Jones. He was there for a couple years. I keep my apologies for overlooking TJ. Um, but I even jumped in on the food puns. You know, we had all the UK fans. I think Matt Jones tweeted out the picture and he put uh, some food puns. You saw Cameron Mills spelled M-E-A-L-S. Uh, all kind of food jokes. Patrick Chewing. Uh, everybody had some, so I even threw mine out there. And so, if, if you don't want to be here, if you as out of shape as you look like you are, yeah, I know you're not gonna get equal value if you trade him, but maybe it is time. Well, to so with the with the Harden thing is, kind of getting a little tired. Of look, Honestly. stars get preferential treatment, and anybody that doesn't believe that. Look, 
I don't care what job you do. If you are a trash man and you pick up more trash more efficiently than anybody else and you employee of the week, month, year, it's different. Whatever your job is, if you're a salesman, the top salesperson gets perks, right? That's part of it. So I don't really care. You know, I don't, it doesn't bother me that hard you got X, Y, and Z. I, you know, that, that goes without saying. You know, or he was going to Vegas in between games. Uh, like Michael Jordan was going shooting craps at Atlantic City playing the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, I, that doesn't bother me. wanted to be in Chicago. He wasn't trying to the, force his the, way the, nowhere. He wasn't, you know. The, the problem <laughs> with Harden, and this is, you know, goes to the people in Houston, is the, the, there, was no, there was no winning to back it up. Yeah, that too. That, you ain't winning like MJ. You know, when LeBron was being a diva, let's say, when he got to Miami, that's four straight finals, back-to-back titles, okay, right? And and with Harden... Thank you. In the moments where you got Golden State down 3-2, when you've got an opportunity to, to, to say, I'm the man, and you don't do it, then people are saying, well, why are we giving you all this extra? What, and on the outside looking in, I mean, I'm not a Houston fan, but for Harden to talk about the culture around the team, I want to say, blankety blank, you were the culture. Everything, That's everything that Maury it's did, you. everything that the old owner and the new owner are doing, it's all built around Harden. Roster construction was... How do we best play off Harden? We're gonna go small. He's gonna create and kick the shooters, right? That's what they. That everything they do was about Harden. See, they look. They they, they Harden hasn't been on all the smoke, saying that they made him run off a bunch of pin downs like JJ Redick and Ray Allen, because that ain't true. <laughs> it ain't true for Paul George either. But Harden ain't. Harden ain't saying that because the ball has been in his hands. They they built and Tony built the offense around him. You know, dribble, 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 bite and shoot, do what you want to do. And you know, he put up numbers. He got some assists and rebounds too. But right, it was his and, and, show. and this was retweeted. Uh, I'm not even sure what this is from. This is a little blurb. I don't know again the uh, validity of it, but just a little clip. On, a, on one occasion in the Florida bubble, Harden waited to get his daily COVID-19 testing until just before the Rockets film session was scheduled to start. When he wasn't on time, Westbrook barked, start the film, start without it. D'Antoni explained that they just have to start over when Harden arrived, which didn't do much to calm Westbrook. Now, we talk about MJ gambling and LeBron doing his thing. And look, my dude Kobe, whatever, man. You, 
I I've never said that Kobe was the best teammate, but what those dudes always yeah. did is when it came time for work, there's stories of Kobe's work ethic. There's stories of LeBron being putting in extra, never cheating the team. And I think that's where the issue is with Harden. You can be a diva on your off days. You can be whatever, whatever. But at practice, at film session, you have to put work in. That's how you get everybody to buy in. So if I'm a Rockets fan, I'm hoping he comes to his senses because he's still got, what, two, three years left on his contract? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got the leverage. I mean, that's what I ain't trying not to uh, have to deal with. I, I think somebody needs to tell him, look, look, let's see what Wall's got. Let's see what Boogie's got. Let's see if we can figure this out. Because I still think the Rockets, as much as we want to dump on Harden, they've been the uh, playoffs every single year he's been there. And I want to say that out West, eight straight times, they're the only teams that have done that. So it hasn't been an abject failure. And I don't want to portray it like it is. Right. But mm-hmm. there's uh, that huge jump between the conference finals and the actual finals. Yeah. And when there's smoke, there's fire. There's, these are little signs and red flags and stuff that you'd rather not see. Especially if you're not getting to the finals, right? And you know, even when even when they brought CP3 in, they tried to, you know, play them separate. You know, we're not they didn't play them together a lot. They they tried to have you know, right? James is out and Chris is in. And they, they overlapped a little bit, but it was you know, even that was kind of still let Harden shine and you know because CP3 is the point guard but you know you can't have him on there taking the ball out of James Harden's hands all the time and I like Harden and even though you know say what you will about how he plays they have been in the mix and all that but it's still this other stuff where I can still be critical of him and not just act like everything he does is great or he does no wrong like like some of these do, I've I've had a few little back and forths with some Houston people. That's that's like they just overlook everything. Like like a, that play, CP3 took it, took the shot against Golden State. Like I said, Harden was just there posting up at the three point line at the top of the key with Iguodala standing there guarding. Like like Kentucky does those inbound plays where the big guy just post up with a hand up. And the defender leans on it. That's what he was doing. No effort to try to get the ball. It was a clutch situation, in the game situation, like you just mentioned. And that's what he's doing. No, no coming to the ball. No give me the ball. No, none of that. So if I was CP3, I'd probably just go ahead and and and, do and look. Else too. I think with Harden, and this is the last. I don't like I said. I don't want to dump on him. Okay, it didn't work with Dwight Howard, yeah. and everybody's like, okay, Dwight Howard, right? I mean, <laughs> okay, Dwight Howard, right? Right. Uh-huh. But CP3, who we know how he is to the max, right? He he wears, but but he takes what he does very very seriously. Now it may wear on you, but you know yeah. his work ethic is there. He understands uh-huh. basketball, and the same way with Westbrook, yeah. you cannot like Westbrook's style, and it ain't for everybody. 
but you can never say that Westbrook tried to cheat, right? That he's always in. And so I, I think uh, Harden has to make a shift in his game, right? All the greats do it. All the great ones get to the point of like how Michael Jordan, he figured out I can score 63 points against these Celtics, but this ain't going to get it done. You know, Kobe thought, hey, I don't need Shaq. Give me some bums and let me score 81 points. But that wasn't getting it done. Like you've got to, you've got to change up your game a little bit. I listened to a, a podcast on Slate by Joel Anderson. Uh, he called it the last, last dance. And it's about an hour or so. And it's on Michael Jordan and his time in uh, Washington, which, you know, people conveniently forget occurred. And it was talking about the difficulty Jordan had understanding that the dudes he was playing with in Washington weren't the same kinds of dudes he was playing with in Chicago. Right? He was playing with a bunch of young guys in Washington, and I think it was Aton Thomas and Brendan Haywood was basically saying it could have gone better, but Mike didn't adapt. And it's it's how do you, and it's at, at that point, how do you tell Michael Jordan his way doesn't work? And so the, there was friction when they brought in Stackhouse. They traded Rip Hamilton and uh, brought in Stackhouse. Stackhouse was under the impression of, okay, he, Mike is going to pass the baton, right? He's thinking that, that, that Mike, is this is going to be like a, a mentorship kind of thing. And Mike was like, no, I'm still Batman. And, and, you know, and it didn't work. So we talk about guys like Vince Carter, who I think his career is just phenomenal. High school phenom, college All-American, that dude in Toronto, that dude, you know, in New Jersey. And he was able to make that shift that players that reach that status usually don't have to make. And I don't fault those guys for not being able to do it. But it is something that you need to address that sometimes you just have to change your game. And that's what it's going to be tough for Hart now as you know, had not had MJ success, but you know, perennial all-star and you know, top offensive player, arguably one of the best offensive players in the league. So he's done it his way for a long time. So yeah, asking him to change now would be tough. I'm going to squeeze in a bunch of stuff. We got like five minutes left. So I'm going to hit him real quick and then try to get it in before uh, before the end of the podcast cuts off. First of all, congrats to DA for getting his degree. Um, we got also friend of the show, Bob Kendrick, president of Negro League Baseball Museum uh, with the fact that stats of Negro Leaguers will be acknowledged as MLB or gets that MLB recognition that happened earlier today. Uh, Manfred the commissioner said all of us who love baseball have long known that the Negro Leagues produce many of our game's best players 
innovations and triumphs against the backdrop of injustice. We're now grateful to count the players of the Negro Leagues where they belong as major leaguers within the official historical record. Friend of the show, been on here with us multiple times, Bob Kendrick said, for historical merit today, it is extremely, extraordinarily important. Having been around so many of the Negro League players, they never looked to MLB to validate them. But for fans and for historical sake, this is significant. It really is. So that happened today as well. Also, condolences to Charlie Pride, a pioneer in country music. I'm not a big country music guy, but there are some some country jams on my Spotify library. Charlie Pride, first African-American country artist in the Country Music Hall of Fame, and also played in the Negro Leagues for several different teams, including Louisville and Memphis, in addition to being a Hall of Famer in the country music genre. And glad that Keontae Johnson is doing better. You and I old enough to remember what happened when he gathers. Keontae collapsed on the court Saturday at Florida State for the Gators, was in the hospital in Tallahassee, medically induced coma. They've been transporting back to Gainesville early today. They said he was talking. Uh, so good to see that. But it still begs the question of long term. Don't know what this is going to do, what this virus is going to do, because we're in uncharted waters. From a cardiovascular standpoint, what the effects can be for those who have had it and then come out of it on the other side. And a lot of those Florida players had it a few months ago. So I want to squeeze all that in. That's a bunch of rambling. We got like two minutes left. I just want to throw all those little topics in before we. Absolutely, uh, I think it's a good step for Major League Baseball to acknowledge and include uh, the Negro Leagues. They should have done a better job, and I think there's more that they could do uh, to acknowledge that. Not only bring yep. the records in, but they need to explain on why they needed a separate Negro Leagues as well. I think that should be part of uh, the story. Uh, Charlie Pride, again, like you, not the biggest uh, country music fan. Glad that, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm not glad that he passed, obviously, but I'm glad that his name is, is, is out there and people can acknowledge what his contributions to the, to the genre. Keontae Johnson, hope he just continues to recover because you I remember being shook just watching and hearing what happened to Hank Gathers. That's what yeah. 12 year old, 13 year old when that happened, that's like 90. So and then here we are seeing that happen this weekend. And that I, they said Leonard Hamilton went to Mike White. I can't believe he decided to let his team continue. I would have just said, hey, that's that's it for the day, y'all. Because uh, you can't focus after that. I was talking with Tony Delco on the podcast earlier. He said that, you know, we in no position to continue to try to play when you see a teammate do that. He runs a basketball academy. A kid fell and hit his head really hard. And that was it. They, they can't stop the game, get the kids out. The director's here. Let's get the ambulance. Let's get this kid taken care of. So I can't. I was Florida. I was shocked myself. So uh, definitely sending prayers uh, to that young man and the Florida program. Absolutely. I and mean, we crammed a lot in trying to get all the topics in. The new OC, the basketball struggles. Still got time. 
they bottle up that second half. The blue blood battle against UNC now, my bad. I was <laughs> I was still on UCLA mode. Switched to the Tar Heels at two o'clock, and then the Cardinals the week after that. But man, always a blast getting in here, hopping on here, doing it with you. And he's got about thirty seconds left. Thanks to you for always bringing the knowledge like you do. We have a blast every single Wednesday. Thanks to Bradley Charles for coming in, young fella, doing his thing. And uh, congratulations to whoever wins all these high school championship games. It's coming weekend, and we'll talk about that next week. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll do it again. Thank you.